Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back, and it is May the 15th. We have got actually a ton of content to share with you guys today. A lot of articles Julie and I have been uh, reading and reviewing and discussing and, you know, comparing pretty much all morning. Mm -hmm. So we are ready to share with you what we feel are the leading headlines as pertains to the real estate industry that we found in all the usual places, but also a few unusual places. And it is our job to keep all of you guys way ahead of the curve. What is happening now, of course, is relevant, but what is going to happen next is also equally as relevant. So along those lines, um, we have quite a few articles and things to review and comment as we go through the news stories today. And also, we did neglect to do things we love and things we hate yesterday at the end of yesterday's podcast. And uh, we found some more really hilarious articles to share with you guys today. So <laughs> strap in, get ready. It's going to be a fun ride. In the meantime, um, a quick reminder, if you're listening to us for the first time, uh, please do remember to download your Ultimate Agent Survival Guide and join the free coaching uh, program. It is absolutely you know, free, thus the name, <laughs> the free coaching program. To get access to it, all you have to do is text the word SURVIVAL to 31996. Just text the word SURVIVAL to 31996 and we'll te- uh, text you back a link um, that will activate your membership. It just takes two seconds, you know, username, password type situation. And after you've act- activated the um, password, you log into the website. You can do it from your mobile device, obviously, or your desktop or whatever. And then you're going to see all of the material that we have set aside for you to help it so that you guys can absolutely kick some serious butt in this market, maybe even because of this market. Now, as we've been telling all of you since the pandemic hit our shores on the, you know, basically the 12th, 11th of uh, March, we've been doing our best to let you know that it was probably going to be worse than, you know, what people were predicting initially. And and you notice how the V-shaped recovery types have all gone away. You guys notice that? The people that were claiming there was going to be a V-shaped recovery are now saying a Nike swoosh recovery. I mean, the whole thing is just... They're clearly running out of analogies. I know, but it's beyond, you know, it's just insanity because really at the end of the day, I'd hate to be an actual economist. Julie and I are aspiring amateurs basically at this point, but I hate to be an actual one because then, you know, you're going to have to somehow be a really good skilled BSer because there are no real precedent uh, precedents for what's happening right now in the economy. And, you know, housing economists, they've got it worse because they're supposed to be always be proponents of, you know, the housing market. Can you imagine being a housing um, economist working for any of the big brokerages or National Association of Realtors or any and actually come out with news that's not pro-housing? I mean, essentially, guys, they're, you know, they're lobbyists in, es- in essence. They're salespeople it's trying to sell and, you know, their per- perspective on the housing market based on obviously their jobs. So, you know, keep these things in mind. And that's the reason Julie and I try to give you balances and counterbalances uh, to the inf- to the news. Because guess what? We're the first to admit we don't want- know what's going to happen next. Nobody does. This has never happened before. Um, the greatest parallel is probably the Great Depression. But other than that, there are none. Um, and just remember, guys, and this is something I always like to say because I always have to remind myself because 
Not every one of you listen to us every single day. And yes, granted, this is the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate agents in at least the United States. Um, but there are some that listen to us for the first time. And if you're listening to the first time, you're probably getting fire hosed with information that you've not heard from anybody else or any place else. Um, and I respect that. So just understand that no matter what happens with the market, no matter what happens with the interest rates, no matter what happens in politics, no matter what happens if indeed aliens are visiting mm -hmm. us, <laughs> it's another article we <laughs> That's found, right. um, that you uh, will be fine. All you have to do is shift your mindset to understanding that the last market run, which lasted really you know over 10 years from arguably 2009, uh, that was basically based on relationships. You could do well based on your relationships. Now, yes, your relationships matter, but what matters more is your skills. Skills are something that you, a lot of you think you have, but you don't realize you don't have until you're in a situation where the absence of said needed skills cause you to lose the business. Yeah. So we want you to get ahead of that curve and we want you just to open your mind to the fact that in a way you should be, you know, frankly excited, if not optimistic about the future, provided you're willing to adapt and be part of the future. And if you're one of these people that are hanging on, hoping and praying that somehow it's going to return to the normal of 60 days ago, mm -hmm. that will never happen. Though that era in our lives and history, in, you know, on a whole, they're over. Our lives are going to be benchmark um, by, you know, we all have this shared historical event of this pandemic. They're going to be, ben ben uh, you're going to, be, when you're old and gray, you're going to be saying pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. That's how you're going to have to benchmark this time in your own history. And that's how history books will look at it as well. Because not only is it a you know sea change in the way we essentially, you know, I'm, the pandemic thing obviously is a, a real threat, but the uh, damage in essence that's happened to the economy and the essentially the untold, uh, unbelievable hardship that's going to occur from all of this um, and also the people that are going to be essentially, frankly, accumulating great deals of wealth because of this. Those are the things that are going to forever change the way everything's done. I was reading an article today about all these tech startup companies that are shedding employees like crazy. So all these, you know, whiz bang, you know, tech startup companies that were going to somehow make your, basically they're all trying to do the same thing, which is to disintermediate real, real estate agents. And uh, it's like with you know Zillow's whole story and all these other companies, they're all basically looking to you know hang out in the tall grass and hoping the industry was complacent and that they could hide in uh, the grass long enough for you not to realize what they're really trying to do is eat your lunch. Well, all those companies are now basically the ones that were you know in the lead selling business that really wanted to essentially you know charge you for your the business you would have gotten yourself. Uh, not just selling leads, but basically trying to sell you the leads and charge you referral fees. And all these other companies are going to go out of business, which is good and it's bad. It's bad for those of you who never developed the skill set to go after your own business and pre-qualify your own business. It's good for the rest of you because now you'll have fewer people trying to get a bite of your commission. So, I mean, these are the types of changes that happen only in a market like this. So, Mrs. Harris, welcome yes. to today's podcast. Yes, you're right. Pretty much everything is changing. You know how you travel is going to change. I read an article this morning about... You know, everybody's likely, quote, vacations will be by car this year, mm -hmm. mostly. But even that is not without its change, right? You have to check whether the state that you're going to has a mandatory quarantine. For example, I think Hawaii has a two-week mandatory quarantine. So, Well, the way that works, because yeah. I, I ask, because mm -hmm. we have a lot of great coaching clients there. and Part of our EXP family is there. <laughs> so what happens is you, uh, you fly to certain islands in Hawaii. They quarantine you, force quarantine you in your hotel or your VRBO for two weeks. So you're there in Hawaii, 
in your, you know, secured, nice, I'm sure, you know, wherever you're staying for two weeks before you're allowed to come out. And as a result of that, some of the islands have had virtually no outbreaks of the coronavirus. So yeah. that's a that's something we all need to be learning from as far as the importance of essentially quarantining the people most likely mm-hmm. to have the, the virus. Yes, and I believe that we have here in Puerto Rico a... Uh, you land here, you self-quarantine for two weeks as well. So, you know, the travel advisory was, you know, that's fine, get in your car, but you better know what the rules are of the state that you're visiting, the city that you're visiting. A lot of the vacation rent by owner uh, situations have changed. There are certain cities that have outlawed them, at least for the time being. So you got to do a lot more research uh, so that's just one thing is how we travel. And then I'll save uh, one of the changes for restaurants for uh, towards the end of the podcast. I have an interesting one. Um, but back to real estate. So one of the things that we've been reporting on a lot is how forbearances are being handled. And, you know, early on, everybody was freaking out that you don't want to do that because it's going to affect your credit. You don't want to do that because you have to have a big balloon payment and pay it all back in one lump sum. Well, now we have a lot more reporting about what we were reporting on earlier, which is the confusion about it. So this is from Yahoo Finance. Uh, Most homeowners do have government-backed loans and millions have signed up for forbearance, but there's been mass confusion about how borrowers will make up for payments they miss. Consumer advocates say some mortgage companies have incorrectly told buyers they must pay back all missed payments in a lump sum once the forbearance period ends, or have made vague comments that lead stressed out consumers to assume that that's the case. Government agencies have insisted that borrowers with a government-backed loan do not have to repay in a lump sum in a lump sum and that multiple repayment options are available. So if you have not yet done your forbearance or even if you have one where, you know, you are under the understanding that you're going to have to do the lump sum payment, gather your information. We give that all to you because that that's not the requirement. <laughs> Once again, it's the confusion that the lenders caused. It's not uh, because of the CARES Act. I think, I mean, partially because the CARES Act was not specific enough caused this confusion. So we're getting a lot of clarification there. Well, and also, by the way, not to pat ourselves on the back, but when the CARES Act came out, Julie and I read the, the really mm-hmm. ridiculous thing, and we knew what the mortgage forbearance rules were, uh, and we were reporting on the facts based on that new law. And unfortunately, a lot of people, were they were doing is just passing around bad rumors and bad information. Mm-hmm. So you guys now have the truth. You can get 12-month mortgage forbearances, and you should be doing it. does not cost you anything. Uh, there is no application. There is no balloon payment. There is no hit to your credit. Every single one of you should be doing it. Again, a deep dive into all that information. Just text the word SURVIVAL to 31996. And then when you're in the coaching program, click on the tab that says Ultimate Agent Survival Guide, and you'll see all that information there, exactly what you need to be doing. Julie? Yes. So staying in the mortgage world for another uh, article from Housing Wire, they do a pretty good job keeping things up to date here. Uh, Let's see. United Wholesale Mortgage, known as UWM, is now offering mortgage interest rates as low as 2.5%. That's a 2, 2.5%. The average interest rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage currently is about three and a quarter, but this mortgage company announced Tuesday that it's rolling out a new loan program that offers offers borrowers an interest rate as low as two and a half percent for both purchase mortgages and refinances. They also said that they'll do that for second homes. 
let's see. Some people said we'd never see interest rates drop below 3% on a 30-year mortgage, but now it's available when borrowers work with an independent mortgage broker. So uh, this is for conventional only, and this they advise that if you uh, agree to this really incredible low rate, and they say it'll range between two and a half and three percent, that you better be ready to close quickly because they will only lock that rate for 22 days. So uh, that's just a note to self, and if you want to extend it, they're going to be charging a lot to do that extension. But it's probably pretty worth it. Um, the borrower must not already have a loan with them in the past 18 months. Uh, let's see, that's basically it. Conventional, two and a half to three percent. So I did some math, and on say a $400,000 home with 20% down, even with taxes and insurance, the payment was still less than $2,000 a month. <laughs> that's pretty amazing, you know. So here's the thought: How many people are paying about that in rent? for not as great of a property as they can have for around 400,000. I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm wondering what the builders are gonna do with this when they can buy down the road rate even more. Could be interesting times. Well, and there's rumors that if the uh, coronavirus comes back in the fall, which, and guys, I know, you know, try to disassociate yourselves with political banter when you're listening to our podcast, because Julie and I, or anything, we're not Republicans or Democrats, we're libertarians. So, you know, when we're telling you all this stuff, just know that's where we actually fall, kind of right mm -hmm. neatly in the middle. Definitely conservative, um, you know, leanings on, you know, most of the values things. But other than that, you know, adults are adults. They can live their lives as they want to live their lives. But here's a simple fact. Towards the end of the year, it does appear that the likelihood of this coronavirus coming back uh, is, you know, almost it's baked in. And so what you're going to see is a lot of people that are going to have to be put back into forced quarantine. How are the states going to react? How are individuals going to react? What what level of trust do people have in the governments? What level of trust do people have in these supposed health officials, right? I mean, I'm not really sure how this is all going to sort itself out, but there is some interesting things that you need to be paying attention to. For example, start researching or at least having on your radar uh, essentially negative interest rates. And what that in essence means in, in very basic forms, remember we're rank amateur economists at this point, <laughs> is that you, it'll actually cost you to put money in the bank. So you'll your money will lose value when you put it in the bank because banks and whatnot will be able to borrow at essentially zero. And that's what's going to happen. So if the banks if the uh, if the banks can borrow essentially from the Fed at less than zero, the banks then can borrow at just margin and like in the one percent rate or can lend at just you know more than zero but less than say two percent. Moral of the story is you're going to see interest rates are just absolutely going to go down. It just does not seem like it's a likelihood that that won't happen. Um, so when you have the option of locking in long-term, ridiculously low interest rates, uh, loans, you always do it. So keep your powder dry on that. Now, some of you guys will still have your mortgages in forbearance when that when those rates start to drop again. Um, that will not hinder at all your ability to get a low-rate locked-in mortgage. Pay attention because there's some once-in-a-lifetime opportunities that are coming our way. All right. So along the lines of a weird dystopian future, do you want to read the one about the, the robot dog? Oh, yeah. Let me just get down to that oh, one. Uh, All right. I got it ready. Okay. Uh, so, yes, in San Francisco, plans partial reopen for retail Manhattan new rentals plummet. And with cities opening up, there is now a robotic dog, which, quote, encourages 
park goers to practice social distancing. That one's in Singapore. I've also heard about that in California and New York. I don't know if you guys have seen those on the street yet. They're scary as hell looking. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Very, this dy- thing, as you I'm, say, dystopian looking. This look- is like right out of the movies. No, seriously. This looks like the, the, the you know, in Predator Nuts. or wherever the hell it was. Uh-huh. I don't know. Where the things would chase you around, try to kill you. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you this robot dog thing. If I'm walking in the park and I'm seeing that damn thing, uh, I mean, this thing is, they could have, look, it does not look friendly. They could have thrown like a child's It, it kind of bear looks suit, like a uh, like a is on the top of it. I don't know what it does to you if you don't comply. Yeah, but I mean, seriously, why didn't they put some little cute fuzzy, you know, I don't know. a onesie on the damn thing? <laughs> I guess there is another version of this encouraged social distancing, which is drones flying around. Yeah. And I think that's in New York now. No, they, they did that in New York. So, yeah, so guys in yeah. New York, they're flying, the police were flying drones and the drones had... Uh, speakers attached to them, in essence, and they're flying them over beaches in California. I mean, guys, this is insane. So this is like, you know, this damn robotic dog, uh, you know, is telling you, is walking around in the park, telling you to stand away from each other at the same time in different parts of the country. You know, you guys see how this is getting a little loopy? You see how maybe, maybe this is something that's going to have some profound long-term impacts on society? weird. Just maybe. <laughs> so, I mean, we can all laugh at it now just because it's, it's just so bizarre. You know, here's, but here's what I was thinking about, Julie. Mm-hmm. How long, like this, so this robotic dog thing I'm looking at on my computer screen right mm-hmm. now. I mean, you know damn well. They had those things sitting in a closet or a warehouse oh, someday. Yeah. And they were just waiting for the day to turn those damn things on and put them to work. Yeah, well, I, mean, you think I, they I didn't really just... hope artificial intelligence doesn't collide with robotic dog and, you know, then we'll have packs of wild dogs going out. Julie, that people. is using AI. Is it? That robotic dog yeah. is using AI. Yeah. That's so, crazy. I mean, so, like I said, what, what happens if you don't comply? I wonder what it does to you. It supposedly, look, the thing has a camera and it, it takes your it, damn... Oh, it takes your picture. It takes your picture. to the authorities. And it barks at you. Like wow. the, the drones were barking, were yeah. having a speaker that said, mm-hmm. you know, social distancing. The dog barks at you. Yeah. Guys, here's the thing. I have some real dogs that protect me on a walk, but... So we were... Right. Well, I think maybe <laughs> that robotic dog is probably a lot more tough yeah, than your French I, bulldogs. I don't think that Max would do well with that. <laughs> <laughs> though we, though things you hate, we did find a good French bulldog story, but we'll save on that one. That's true. So, uh, you know, the reality of it is, is that a lot of the stuff that they're doing is illegal. It's absolutely against the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And some of these things, you can argue it's for the better good and for health and whatever, whatever. But, you know, it's illegal. They can't do some of the things that they're doing. It's, it's against the Constitution. So how long is – you can get away with this crap in other parts of the world where the countries don't have constitutions, that, you know, bills of rights and, you know, all these types of things that we enjoy in the United States, which has made this the greatest country in the history of humanity, right? And so here are all these governors in many cases, and usually on – you know, essentially they're Democratic governors – who are just loving, seemingly, trying to put in more of these um, heavy-handed, you know, know, controlling programs and robots and drones and monitoring. They're, you know, they're wanting to put, um, they're going to encourage, whatever the hell that means, right? They're going to encourage people to put apps on their phones. This is the um, uh, contact tracing Mm -hmm. idea that they're working on. You guys watch. This is going to come around in the next 60 to 90 days. They're going to encourage you to have an app on your phone. That tracks you. We all have phones that track us now. But then we'll warn a centralized database if it knows your phone and you know you carrying it came in close proximity to somebody who was a known coronavirus carrier. This is the world that we're meandering into, guys. This is the world that we're going to find ourselves into in the post-pandemic world. This is the reason it's all changed. 
It's just sort of like, can you remember back before September 11th, how easy, frankly, it was to travel in an airport? And now look at the rigmarole we go to and we go through. And we've all normalized it. We just accept it. People just stand there in lines. And, yeah, you get to the airport two hours early instead of one hour yeah. early. And you stand around and you get frisked and you get x-rayed and you go Take on your with your Take your shoes way. off. And, you know, my mom who has two artificial hips, every time we travel with her, you know, that's always a big rigmarole. She can't quite lift her arms up. And yep. so, I mean, she always gets a little friendly pat down. <laughs> I think she secretly likes it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. All this, right. So, but also, things are changing, though. And and some of them, I th- it'll be interesting to see how society at large sorts out what we're willing to put up with and what is taking it too far. Right. So what we're doing here, guys, is we're balancing, obviously, real estate stories with just general, you know, social whatever stories just to keep you guys on the edge of your seats. All right. Um, this next story, Julie, is really, I'll just read okay. the headline. The White House would likely support a new round of stimulus checks, sources say. So the Democrats, and we mentioned, we gave you guys all the drill done on this yesterday, um, announced another round of stimulus. And I think all the stimulus that's been going to the public is now well over $10 trillion with no upward cap. So they're going to keep on producing more and more stimulus. It's not going to uh, slow down anytime soon. Uh, we, again, we gave you guys all the details on this yesterday, but really, Julie, if I forget anything, just tell mm-hmm. me. It looks like they're going to extend unemployment. The added um, CARES Act unemployment is going to continue hypothetically through the end of the year, which means you're going to have people that will not go back to work because they're making $3,000 a month, in essence, not working. Upwards, to some cases, $4,000 a month, not working. There's and be- that doesn't count the stimulus check or checks that they've gotten. Which is the other thing. This new round of stimulus is going to mean that from what we've read and researched that the average American family of what was it four, Julie, or was it mm-hmm. no, it was four. It was four. Yeah. We'll up to receive six thousand. Up to six thousand dollars in stimulus. So here you are at home, you know, let's say both you and your wife were unemployed or rather self employed, and now you're both on unemployment, getting stimulus checks about every ninety days. You're right. probably gonna make more money not working than you ever have before. So you know, it's a crazy world, but I I'm truly of two minds about this. Because one side of it is, is the government obviously caused, you know, the decision to you know, put everyone out of work, caused this unemployment rate, essentially triggered what probably will be an economic depression. The government did that with their decision to shut the economy down. Now, whether or not that was uh, the smartest thing for us, you know, our country to do and the world countries to do, or whether or not it'll be forever remembered as being the greatest single mistake ever made by humanity to hurt itself, right? Some people are beginning to make the argument that really at the end of the day, you can't really do anything about this coronavirus. A lot of people are making very sound arguments that you have to develop this herd immunity thing and then everyone's going to eventually get it. Not everyone's going to have an adverse effect to it. Some people will get it, not even know they have it. You know, uh, what is it called, Julie? What? When you have it, you don't oh, know you have you it. you have uh, the antibodies. That's after no, be, you have it. Yeah. Uh, asymptomatic. There you go. Asymptomatic. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are that. And so what maybe the only people it makes sense to isolate are the people that are most vulnerable, people that have underlying health mm-hmm. conditions, older people, things like that. And maybe not doing what they have done for all of you know, societies around the world. And yeah, guess what? Maybe we didn't need to destroy the economy. Maybe we didn't need. So, you know, it's kind of strange. And will and when this thing comes back in the fall, in the winter, are people really, I mentioned this before, but I really am curious about it. How many of you, when you're listening to me talk, are going to be just so willing to essentially, you know, shuttle, you know, stay in your house and wear, you know, masks and 
live with quarantines? Are you really going to do it I again? I just don't think it's sustainable. You already see people cracking over this. Well, but it's not sustainable for all the right reasons, to be honest with you. I agree. It is not sustainable for I, all the I right reasons. I think it is false to uh, you know, expect people to just have perpetual lockdown. Yeah. Even with the stimulus money, because eventually... That's just going to have to. Well, it's because you know, you're just run its dry, from the from a business owner's perspective, and I sent you an article about the percent of businesses that are mm-hmm. just not going to come back. From a business owner's perspective, the stimulus money and all that doesn't do anything from destroying your business. Your business no, is still going right. to be destroyed. Yeah. Because you're 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 literally losing you know your business. So they're going to send you some money to you know soften the blow, but there is no coming back from that. I think Julie, if you can find that article, I got it. Oh, you do? I think it's called Terrible Retail Sales Report Slows Acceleration. Yeah, but if you scan, this is from, um, if you scan about halfway down, you're going to see their statistics, basically. There's a government that, you know, somehow they did a big survey of business owners. Yep. And they're talking, you got it? Retail stores by category, non, let's see, building materials, motor vehicles, food and beverage, health and personal care. Here's the gist of it. Pretty much everything except for non-store retailers like online businesses are down between already 4% and 80%. The gist of the article was essentially that there is 64% of all businesses aren't coming back. That was essentially the gist of the article. Starting with the big guys and trickling down, J. Crew was the first big name casualty, followed by Neiman Marcus. Uh, Friday's, let's see... Macy's. And, you know, we had talked about the impact of those larger stores going away. When you have a giant box vacant and the little ones next to it, they are going to struggle, you know, even more because nobody's coming in to go to the big ones. Uh, JCPenney is expected to file bankruptcy. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the list goes on. Gap, Old Navy, Urban Outfitters, Burlington Stores, Dick's Sporting Goods. All These are names that, you know, we were able to visit 90 days ago. So, which one do you want to do next? Um, whichever one. You're right. Next one. Uh, let's see. Yeah, okay. So, here's an interesting... I think that this is sort of a potential bright spot and a very interesting development. And you you and I both have coaching clients that are reporting on this. Uh, phones at real estate offices in Southern Connecticut are ringing off the hook, the governor says. Well, why would that be? Well, uh, he says there's no question about it. Phones are ringing off the hooks through all of Southern Connecticut. Uh, Let's see. Connecticut benefits significantly from being in the same, quote, ecosystem as New York City, which he called the global capital of the world. However, he said people who live there but have been working from home for about two months are learning from that experience. People are realizing that telecommuting does not mean that you have to be in New York City five days a week. It means if you have to stay home for a period of time, having a nice little backyard is not a bad way to do it. And I've had uh, a lot of our California clients report that the one of the biggest requests uh, from people, you know, looking to move is they've got to have a backyard. And I totally get that, especially if you're homeschooling. Can you imagine being stuck in some high rise with 1,200 square feet, no balcony and no backyard? No bueno. <sighs> Especially if you have children or dogs. Especially if you have kids and dogs. Or, or an 80-year-old living with you. Hey, yeah. I, just, I found that article. I just okay. sent it to you. All right. So we are drilling down. Um, and yeah, I mean, the point that Julie also was making was it's kind of fascinating. I, I do think it's possible that there is going to be a huge housing shift in um, just going beyond what we've been reporting on. I wonder, and I really true to, I truly wonder about this. Whether or not people are, the whole trend that's going on arguably off and on, you know, ebbs and flows, 
you know, from since like really since the 50s, right? In the 50s, people started living in suburbia and then, you know, moving out of the cities and then, you know, the, all, the big cities, the big central cities of the country. Like if you think of a, on a map where the big power hubs are in our country, there's not really very many of them. And um, what people are seemingly going to do is reject living in those really dense housing areas. Now, some of you are thinking, well, maybe that's just a little bit early to call that. But is it? I mean, after someone's basically been through the shock of essentially dealing with the virus and all the, you know, ramifications of it, how many people are going to want to, if you're living in a city going forward or a densely populated area going forward, chances are you're always going to have to have some sort of protective measure or some big brother that's taking you. I went to the dentist yesterday Mm -hmm. and before I walked into the dentist, it was a whole, you know, take your temperature. Um, have to answer a bunch of questions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wash your hands. I mean, fine things. I didn't mind. But what if my whole existence was like that? When, you know, if Julie and I were living in Manhattan, right? And, you know, we had to take Zoe to school every day and Julie's walking the dogs and we're going to Central Park. But what if in Central Park, you everyone's forced to walk six feet away from each other? What if there's drones flying above and that are monitoring dogs. you? nipping at your heels <laughs> right and what if your iphone is tracking you for contact yeah. tracing what if when you go to the grocery store you're having to stand on a little yellow circle that's at least six feet from you guys get my point at some point you just probably want to stay home yeah or you want to leave and that's what mm-hmm. that's what we're kind of fascinated by and I, I don't know if you guys have been noticing that in your real estate markets but is that going to be a trend and i'll say so here's another thing i've been noticing a lot of people are predicting that the certain aspects of the housing market will inevitably collapse. And we've been reporting on these articles too in the, in the you know, economists that are saying, for example, VRBOs. And you know, there's a great article I sent it to you, Julie. I don't know if you had a chance mm-hmm. to read it. That was basically talking about um, that there's going to be a cycle of deflation as a result of essentially what's happening in the economy, which has been the pattern in the past. You know, things lose value as you know, people start being sketchy about spending money. And one of the things that they stop buying are luxury items like boats and vacation homes. And the only reason we haven't really seen a lot of deflation in those markets so far is because of all the stimulus. All right, that intellectually makes sense to me. But here's the counterpunch to that. If I no longer want to live in a densely populated area of a city and I can telecommute, Julie and I were on our six mile run walk yesterday and I had a Zoom meeting. We, you know, pulled over to the side. I fired up my Zoom meeting, wiped the sweat off my forehead, and had a great Zoom meeting. You know, and it worked perfectly on 5G. You know, which we have down here on Puerto Rico. So that's kind of a fascinating paradigm shift for almost all of us. Now, obviously, if you're dependent on selling real estate in a particular geographic area and that's how your life is structured, it's not as easy for you. But overall, that doesn't. That still, I bet you, leaves maybe 20% of working age adults. That can then decide if they want to, you know, work virtually from a different location, which means they're probably going to choose the very properties that are in the vacation resort areas, the very properties that are maybe beachfront or waterfront. They might this so the these these folks predicting that it's going to be the demise of those, you know, sort of um, the like I've been describing. You know, I'm thinking of Amelia Island. I'm thinking of you know coastal areas, and you know, I don't think they're right. I think they're wrong. I think if you're living in some densely populated area, and you're saying, you know what, I've had it with this coronavirus thing, um, and I can work from you know virtually, I bet you you're going to see a mini boom in those markets too. Definitely. Just like our friend um, Rob Johnson, coaching client, Greenwich, Connecticut, number one you know real estate agent in the entire state of Greenwich, and 
whatever, whatever, lots of awards and accolades, 100 and almost, what, 33 million last year in sales volume. He has seen a surge, as Julie just read to you in the article, in people willing to pay incredible amounts of money for rent. Our, another great coaching client, LeGrand, down in um, uh, Charleston, North Carolina, same thing for him. A surge in people coming from, guess where, Manhattan, Okay, to buy houses. So people are absolutely changing their behavior and they're doing it quick. So maybe all these predictors or these people that are prognosticating that it's this, you know, recession depression cycle is going to be the demise of, you know, really properties that were deemed to be vacation properties before. Yeah, I, I think it's just shifting I think they're to different wrong. owners. Right. Well, they have their own confirmation bias because they probably yeah. live in some, you know, sure. cluster F city dwelling place, yeah. right? <laughs> I know. Well, you know, it does make you think, but it's, it is an interesting shift. It's a, I, I'm sure somebody is going to, maybe a year from now, have some interesting graphs saying, showing the population shift away yeah. from cities. You can just see what that might look like. I know, right? migration trends. Migration I mean, it'll, it'll be, well, yeah. so there's a, what, Mayflower Van Lines comes mm-hmm. out with a... Uh, yeah, pop- they would know, right? Well, they're moving yeah. this stuff. Yeah, but when was the last time you saw a Mayflower van? Well, but maybe not here, but yeah. They have a report that's highly respected by economists that comes out every year that shows essentially net migration, you know, where people are moving into out of states. Like they, the trend forever has been, you know, people moving, say, for example, out of California. So California is losing more people than they're gaining, and Texas is gaining more people than they're losing, and things like that. Florida is also growing. Essentially, sand states, places where it's warm. Also, states with no state taxes, they're increasing. But I bet you now we're going to start seeing trends towards places in the country that have really not grown at all, that a lot of people have sort of forgotten about. I'm talking about like Montana. I'm talking about mm-hmm. places like that, because you can still live uh, you know, off the grid, in essence, while still being completely attached to the grid. And you don't have to worry about it. I don't. What the state of Montana? They didn't even have any shutdown, or I don't think they there did. was nothing. Yeah, no. And and you know, there, there's another little side benefit to moving from metropolis to someplace like Montana. The pricing is quite different than what Definitely. you're probably coming from. for now. For now, so yeah. we'll see what that does to those markets. I think it's really fascinating to watch. It is fascinating. And by the way, real estate practitioners, your uh, you know your coaches, your future coaches, those you know Tim and Julie Harris. We moved. We've moved many times. You can move too. Once you have skills, and you're not just based on buying leads. You once you have skills, you can actually take your skills and you can move to any market you want to. It won't matter. Yep. And if you're stuck in a part of the country right now that you don't want to live, why don't you start opening your mind to moving to a place where you do want to live? You don't have to, you know, quote unquote, retire someplace that's warm and sunny when you reach a certain age. Why don't you go there now and start selling real estate? Why don't you go there now and why don't you choose a place that has a good high average sale price? That's a good idea too, right? <laughs> you know, increase your income, to live in a better environment. <laughs> you can make these yeah. decisions yourself once you have the skill set. The skills that we teach in our coaching program are totally transportable. You can go in any market within you know 60 to 90 days and have listings. You don't need a big centers of influence list. You don't need a big you know marketing campaign. You don't need to buy leads. You don't need to work on your branding. You just need to know how to get the gen- generate the leads yourself proactively and then what to do with them once you got them. And that's what we teach you as far as our coaching program. If you want to learn more about the coaching program, just text the word education to 31996. Did you find that article? Yes. So the U.S. job market is in serious trouble. Why an exuberant stock market may soon follow. So here's the bullet points on that. We cannot have an economic recovery without a recovery in the number of jobs available to help generate spendable household income. 
Government programs have produced an adverse effect as we work towards job recovery by creating disincentives for many individuals to return to work. Over 42% of small businesses have already decided to close their doors due to COVID-19. Unless there's a quick economic rebound, many of them will transition to permanent closure. The prospect for continuing revenue losses among small businesses will likely add to the number of business closures in the next six months. Many large and medium-sized businesses are also finding what were once temporary layoffs are now more likely to become permanent. Um, so it goes on to talk about all of these stats, lots of interesting graphs here. Uh, cannot emphasize the importance of stopping the massive number of jobs that are being lost in the U.S. economy. I think that's the one that you were thinking about. But see, here's the here's the disconnect. How do you stop jobs from being lost? You can't. How can a government come in and stop jobs from being... It can you tell, can't force people to go do stuff that they're not comfortable doing. Well, but the flip side to it. How could a totalitarian-type government, even with the best, most well-intended program, prevent you from firing people? The only way they could is by giving you the money to keep them employed. But at the end of the day... If when the uh, you know the all clear is given, whenever that happens, and the business is allowed to open up, but there's all these draconian laws that are going to be in place, but social distancing and all the rest of it, your business is not viable. You can't. You know, we use restaurants as an example. I used to bus tables at a, you know, as a, uh, I forget how many uh, Michelin stars it had, but it was a French restaurant. And this is when I was in uh, high school, and I can tell you right now because I used to sit in on the meetings that the um, restaurant was very dependent on having a certain number of the tables full and mm-hmm. you know people not sitting at those tables for too long you had to turn the tables and for the restaurant just to break even on like a Saturday you had to essentially have uh, all the tables I think turn once in other words you know two sets of um, patrons per night or no it was 50 percent. i don't remember the exact numbers but there, there was an algorithm that there was an algorithm right? where the profit was right and the, and the waiters and the waitresses right they would bemoan like if you'd walk in on a saturday night and you'd ask how many reservations and it was like we're full we're booked up there's no room left the the waiters and the waitresses and even the bus boys the lowly bus boys like i was they would be thrilled because you know it's going to be a good tips night. Now, if you walk, you're not going to walk back into that restaurant as an employee if you know there's there's simply not going to be the demand there. You're not going to walk back in that restaurant as an employee um, if you do not have the opportunity to make as much money. So, no matter how much social do-goodery the government tries to pass along to business owners, at the end of the day, business, you know, demand destruction is demand destruction. And you're not going to fix that. You're not going to fix it unless the government wants to keep on sending money to people, which is what they're doing. Um, the We are going to eventually have to, you know, we're going to pay for this. Right now, there is not a real, for example, guys, we talked yesterday. We are, again, thankful that the government put a backstop on um, mor- mortgages and allows forbearances mm-hmm. and will basically prevent people from losing their houses because of the coronavirus. Okay, we're thankful that there's not going to be a runaway train of, you know, essentially destruction in the housing industry. So don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But it's going to eventually happen. Your best case scenario is the government stimulus lasts long enough so that there's going to be essentially um, enough employment that the demand will, you know, everything basically comes back. But here, just to put that in perspective, it took 10 years for the unemployment rate to go from where it was after the Great Recession to where you know where it was in February of this just this past year, it took ten years 
to get the unemployment rate down to where it was. So why would it take any less than 10 years? And it'll probably realistically take at least 10 years for us to have unemployment rates down to where they are now. Now, you know, people say, and I don't like these articles because they're a little elitist. And they're kind of like, kind of snotty too. Some of these articles where you're saying, well, the people who lost their jobs are low wage workers or weren't buying houses anyway. Yeah, but let's think about that. Is that where the conversation ends? Is it, okay, well, screw those people anyway. They're all just tenants. Well, if they don't, if, if they're not buying or if they're not essentially making money, if they're unemployed because the businesses that were employing them are not viable anymore, doesn't that mean that the people, there's a statistic in there about that. Can you find that? Mm -hmm. Doesn't that mean that the people who employed them, they too are experiencing financial hardship? Are really, is it, can you just isolate the idea that um, essentially this housing thing isn't going to be something that's going to be significant just, just by the very idea that somehow you're going to be able to, well, forget those. This, the unemployment's mostly low-wage workers. Well, it turns out that's a lie, and here's a statistic for you. Hopefully, Julie found it. I'm, I'm reading a whole bunch of them. Okay. It's, it's towards three-quarters down. But the gist of it was is that the um, unemployment rate is climbing equally as fast with people that are not in that low-wage worker category. So just don't believe it. Until there's a you know virus or a therapy, until, until the unemployment rate drops, use your own brains, guys, there's not going to be a meaningful recovery in the economy. So in the intervening months and maybe years, just shift your mindset to realizing that in all reality, there's more opportunity in a market like this than there was in the last market. In the last market, guys, you had to compete with a lot of people that had no skill or low skill as far as fellow real estate professionals or agents, whatever you want to refer to them as. They just basically got in the business and they were able to take low, you know, low-hanging fruit off the tree just because most sellers in particular and certainly buyers weren't that choosy about who they hired uh, to help them with their real estate transaction. In this new market, it's going to be just the opposite. Sellers especially, and they ultimately control the market, are going to be incredibly selective who they hire to be their listing agent. And they're going to be basing it on your skill set, your presentation, your ability to overcome you know, objections, your ability to solve their problems. And if you're not able to provide those levels of service for them, you, may, you might not even get the opportunity in the first place. Or if you do, you will lose in a competitive listing situation because the other agent knew what to say and how to solve the problem. Julie? Yeah, I mean, this is a very very thick article, very interesting stuff. Um, part of what they, their point here is that the unemployment numbers that are being reported are very, I mean, probably very much understated. It said that, let's see, let me find the right one, that, okay, here it is. The keep, keep the civilian labor force denominator at 164 million, which results in a 25.5% estimate for effective unemployment. Uh, and if you add involuntary part-time workers as completely unemployed, the resulting unemployment rate would be about 27.5%. So that's accounting for virtually everyone. And they they even they break it down to your point, Tim. They break it down. It's not just people who used to work in a restaurant. It's you know all kinds of different offices that are not operational. They're not don't have any business. They're filing for bankruptcy. Well, look at the dentist office I went to the other day. Yeah. Okay. When I went to the dentist office, I was greeted by very very nice people. The medical care sure. in uh, Puerto Rico guys is phenomenal. The, I mean honestly, we've fortunately not had that many experiences, but the they're so per, the, in Puerto Rico. When you're a doctor or even a nurse, they don't 
they have advanced certifications. They're all essentially like the doctors. What's the ad- added education called? Uh, some kind of certification. I don't remember yeah. what it is. But for example, when Zoe has to get a flu shot, she can't just go to, you know, like CVS. She's only allowed to get it from her certified pediatrician who is allowed to give the flu shot. So I walk up and they, you know, I, the door is locked. The very nice nurse you know, lets me in. I told you guys all this. And she took my temperature, washed my hands, asked me a bunch of questions. I sat down. There were a total of two people mm-hmm. in the waiting room, me and another person. Then, okay, obviously I didn't have to wait very long, which was very nice. I walked mm-hmm. back there and the procedure was you know, one and done. I had to have a filling fixed. But while I was there, they were only able to service what amounted to about one person every hour. How is that business viable right now? How are they going to keep the lights on? That's a dental practice. Well, one of our neighbors um, is in the dental business, and they're talking about how they're based in Manhattan, and nobody's allowed to do anything there. They're trying to do uh, dental diagnostics by phone. I don't know how that works, but... Um, you know, <laughs> that's weird. okay. Uh, but think about businesses that generally were operating at a pretty small margin to begin with. So if operating at 100% prior to all of this, say 90 days ago, your margin was say five or 10% at best. And when you are allowed to reopen, you're only allowed to operate at 25% capacity. Well, you do the math that still does not solve the problem. And, and how long can they go on like that? Because they still have to pay for all of the, like the, our dentist friends, she was talking about they're having to invest in all new equipment for when they do reopen. And not every dental office has that kind of capital expenditure ready to rumble on all new sanitizing equipment and all these things. So, you know, the unintended consequences go on and on. And remember, this is not, so like, why are we telling you guys all this? We're telling you the reality that certainly other people in the real estate industry won't tell you. Are we telling this to scare you? Of course not. We're telling you this so that you can move past any sort of mooring lines you have to your past with regards to hoping and praying things go back to quote unquote normal and you can move forward. We're telling you so that you're not shocked, you're not surprised, that you're prepared so that you can skip the, you know, most agents, guys, they're, you know, they're going to be on their heels for the rest of the year. Maybe for the rest of their lives because of this. Mentally and emotionally, there was they had they do not have any countermeasures to the psychological stress that they find themselves in, followed by the financial stress that they're going to find themselves in, especially if they don't aren't taking advantage of all these government lifelines we've been telling you guys about. And then the real problem ultimately is they're not going to have the skill set needed for the new market. So Julie and I have been intentionally been as you know frankly as direct and at the same time somewhat lighthearted with trying to encourage you guys to embrace what this market has to offer embrace with open arms and realize there's never been a time when caring competent real estate professionals have been so needed everyone likes to say they want to give great service well what the heck does that mean returning calls on time well obviously how about great services the ability to actually solve a multiple of pro- a multitude of problems for a multitude of lots of different types of people that's truly what great service is Great service is knowing that you can walk into anybody's house and have a conversation with anybody and know that you can solve their problem. Can you do that now, listeners? If you can't, do something about it. Fix that problem because that's what this new market is going to demand. Any other headlines or you have your things you love and things you hate? I do. Uh, let's see. This one I can't actually decide to love or hate. This is actually sent to me by a coaching client in Amelia Island. Thank you for that. Um, okay, so a highly rated restaurant says that it plans to fill empty tables with mannequins to make social distancing rules 
quote, less awkward when customers are allowed to return. So, like, part of me is like, really? That's going to be less awkward? Having mannequins. Oh However, okay, so it, so here's why it, maybe it could be interesting. The Inn at Little Washington in Virginia, a three Michelin-starred restaurant, plans to open for dinner on May 29th, and it could start welcoming guests for half capacity outdoor seating as early as Friday when the restrictions are eased. When the restaurant gets the green light to start serving customers inside its dining room, the chef plans to seat empty tables with mannequins who are decked out in vintage 1940s-style outfits. They also have plans to capitalize on the 20-acre property by offering picnic, lunch, and garden tours. So maybe I like it. Maybe it's extremely creepy. I can't quite decide. But Do you want... Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. I really don't want to sit next to mannequins while I'm eating. Okay, so yeah, I was about to ask you if you want to go to a date with a restaurant. But maybe I'd do the picnic thing. I think that'd be kind of cool. Except for mosquitoes and bugs and whatnot. there's that. So, you know, what is the fate of something like this? I give them uh, credit for creativity, though. Interesting solution. That's someone stuck in a long-term lease is what yeah. that is. Okay. Now, things I definitely hate. There is a story that I didn't want to open because I really wanted to believe it was fake news. <laughs> and that was that a French bulldog uh, actually killed his, his owner. And I thought, I don't know, anybody who knows Frenchies, that's like, no, that's impossible. Well, that was the headline. I went on to uh, read that this was a French bulldog mix that had been supposedly bred for fighting or something like that. But I definitely hate that. None of that should happen. And uh, I don't even know what else to say about that. But um, yeah, be careful with your rescues. I guess maybe they're running out of rescues and we're getting desperate. And when they beg for treats, give them a damn treat. Give them a damn treat. You better. Yeah, you may pay. They're keeping score. I know. So now every time Max is being bad, I kind of give him a look like, no, no, <laughs> we're not going there, buddy. All right, so here's a thing I love. I do, I think this is fun. Newly released hazard reports detailing encounters between U.S. Navy aircraft and unidentified aerial phenomena oh, yeah. revealed details about incidents that were thrust into the spotlight when the Pentagon officially declassified and released videos of three encounters late last month. The unknown aircraft appeared to be small in size, approximately the size of a suitcase. In silver in color. One report described an incident on March 26, 2014. And evidently, there's crap tons of these reports. But these reports in particular, because I read mm-hmm. this whole article and I read another one on it, because I am that kind of nerd, um, were basically leaked. So this Navy report was leaked. It wasn't supposed to make it into the public domain. Mm-hmm. And then once it was originally leaked, uh, I think two years ago, and the Navy didn't comment on it. Now they've come out and said that it is true. And um, the, and evidently there was Harry Reid who was um, oh, yeah. when we, we were Nevada, Nevadians right, right? Uh-huh. he was the senator for Nevada uh-huh. evidently he was heading up uh, his own um, X Files type division really? before mm-hmm. he retired mm-hmm. uh, that has since been defunded wink wink uh-huh. okay <laughs> okay well so I'll finish reading uh, during the encounter one of the Navy F-18s uh, jets passed within a thousand feet of the object. It was unable to positively determine the identity of the aircraft. The report added saying the U.S. Navy pilot attempted to regain visual contact with the aircraft, but it was um, unable. And it goes on. There's actually a video. If you guys want to watch this, you can Google it. We're putting it on our website too, of course. And it's talking about, well, actually it's the video of what the pilots are, are saying. Object could be drones. The newly released reports appears to share the assessment describe many of the unidentified aircrafts as unmanned aerial systems, UAS, the Pentagon's official name uh, of the drone aircraft. Accordingly, 
To, according to another incident report from November of 2013, a Navy F-18 pilot was able to visually acquire a small aircraft. The aircraft had approximately five-foot wingspan and was colored white with no other distinguishable features. Due to the small size, the aircraft was determined to be a UAS, the report said. And it goes on and on, but here's what the punchline is. And so they're now thinking that these are drones. Um, oh, here's what I was trying to tell you guys. The video of the encounters were first released between December 17th and March 2018 by uh, To The Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, a company co-founded by former Blink-182 musician Tom DeLonge that says it studies information about unidentified aerial phenomena, right? Wow. So, I mean, but the point is, is that that part of it sounds a little nutty, but then you look at the fact that this is coming from the Navy and they're actually showing you real video. So we have a coaching client um, who used to fly F-18s for the Marines, actually. And um, I told him about this when the report came out that I frankly believed to be true last month. And I asked what his take was on it. And he said that the thing that really shocked him was the nature of the uh, how, these, how these things flew. He said there's nothing, like for example, normally when there's a jet flying, the propulsion comes out the back, right? Or if you guys think about it, like everything needs to be thrust forward and then you use your wings and your you know if you're a helicopter you're you know all that stuff so that's how it works these things didn't have that so what was causing them to be able to fly and change direction was uh unearthly to say the least now they are suggesting that maybe there's some sort of really truly advanced technology that we're experimenting with that people can't possibly imagine and that's what he said too he said it's very conceivable that this is just some sort of you know third generation from now technology that we have that we're mastering and the reason that we're seeing and they're admitting that these are flying over military bases is because that's where they take off and land from whereas other people obviously are suggesting that it's something a little bit more nefarious from other worlds mm, we'll ooh, wait and ooh. find out <laughs> do you have anything else <laughs> no that's that should be a good wrap-up. You know, it's, it's a problem that we're so enthusiastic talking about aliens. Uh, it shows that? how desperate we are to stop talking about the virus and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Or more specifically, the government bailout programs. Ugh. We're absolutely yeah. looking for so fun facts to share with you guys. But, and, you know, they're voting on round five with the HEROES Act. So when that all gets sorted out, we'll be reporting on that next. And, uh, you know, one day at a time, guys. Just make sure that you're taking care of yourself first so that you can take care of everyone who needs you second. You really can't get through this. There's nothing, there's no reason, listeners, um, that you can't actually thrive, do better in this market than you did in the last one. And it, it's just simply a numbers game. There will be fewer transactions, most likely. The, you know, we could talk about the motivation and all the rest of it, but let's just focus on this. You're not, if you have the skill set that this market demands, and you're, say, for example, in the marketplace as you are, and everything in life is competitive, as much as you like to tell yourself it might not be, but it is. And the reality of it is, is if you can get on the phone with someone who has a specific set of problems and you know how to solve those problems, even if you're, you know, hypothetically competing with, you know, five other agents, but they don't have your skill set, you're going to hand those agents their butts every time. And that's what this market is all about. It's having the skill set. Frankly, it starts with basically knowing that you need the skill set. Once you get this and not waiting around to have the mindset, that's a big problem a lot of you guys are making. You know, you're spending so much time moving things around in your mental, you know, your attic, basically your brain. And you're not realizing in all reality that working on your mindset right now is not the best use of your time. What you need to be doing is working on your skill set 
and then getting into action while you're learning, with three reasons we say earn while you learn, and then magically what happens is your mindset changes. To try to somehow flip some sort of mystical switch in your head where all of a sudden you have epiphanies about the future and the clouds clear and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I now know what to do. That is an utter waste of time and you guys are being sold an absolute bill of goods that will keep you broke or make you broke. And so what you gotta do is you gotta get your skill set on, you got to learn and then at the same time, start doing the things we ask you to do and then your mindset will change because then you're not going to have fear anymore. You're going to realize that, hey, turns out that wacky alien talking Tim and Julie knew what the hell they were talking about when they were, tell when they were telling me to learn the things and do the things I didn't want to do and I didn't want to do them at the highest level. Guys, that's what this market's about. And you'll find also that you have the best centers of influence and past clients that come as a result of you being able to solve problems. When Julie and I sold real estate, some of the best clients we always had for you know long-term clients were the ones where we walked into the house and there was all kinds of you know weird things that were going on. It could just be the basic stuff, them not understanding the market or more complicated stuff. Maybe there was a condition issue in the house or something like that, but a lot of financial issues. And when you can walk into someone's house and you can solve their problems for them, and then you actually deliver and get the house sold, you are going to have somebody that loves you for life and goes out of their way to basically be your raving fan. A lot of you guys have confused or you, know, you, you believe that the word brand is more important than the word reputation. Branding is just a fancy way to sell you something that is supposed to somehow make it so you don't have to earn your reputation. I want you to think about what I just said. So when all these little ideas and all these things that have been normalized over the last 10 years that you guys think you should be focusing on right now, you are absolutely positively not doing the right thing. You need to be focusing your skill set on no, learning how to help people solve their problems and really cutting through some of the Mickey Mouse marketing that's going out there, you know, like work on your mindset, work on your brand, work on your social networking, work on your, you know, all this other stuff. No, no working on in this market. There is no working on. Working on means you're procrastinating, you're just trying to fill the time. What you need to be doing is learning how to be of service to people while you're actually trying to do it. And then in the action of seeing that you're getting better, the pressure from having to actually do the work at the same time you're learning it will make it so that your learning curve is measured in weeks, not years. And then when you start making money, then when you start building this business that you didn't think you'd build, then you'd realize, and then you'll have the greatest epiphany ever that you'll finally discover the, frankly, the greatest truth that I think we can share. If you want ever, ever increasing long-term levels of success, not ups and downs, not ebbs and flows, but ever increasing levels of success in your business and personal life. It always comes down to doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. You want to tack anything onto that, dear? No, I think that's a great place to leave them with. Yeah. So guys, listen, God bless all of you. If you need us for anything, you can always text me at 512-758-0206. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow or anytime. Thank you for continuing to make this the number one listen to daily podcast for real estate agents. Please share the message um, by uh, subscribing to on iTunes or Stitcher. We're also on Spotify, pretty much every place you can possibly imagine. But do uh, us a favor and share the podcast with as many other real estate folks as you possibly can imagine. Uh, we're picking up audience in England. We're picking, picking up audience in Australia, certainly in Canada, United States. We're expanding. We're going global. Join us for the adventure. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show uh, tomorrow or anytime. Remember, all of our literally thousands of shows are waiting for you to be listening and replay on all the normal I, uh, you know, podcast listening services. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. 
For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. Thank you.